0: The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We thank you, Lord, that in your incredible sovereignty, you saw fit to uh, teach us and to let us know by your written word. Um, Let us know who you are. Let us know how we can know you. Let us know why we need you. All by your word, Lord God. So we pray that you would open it now to our hearts and open our hearts to your words that we might. Uh, Be the men and women that you have created us to be, particularly, Lord, in this Lenten season, uh, that we would come to you for the things that we need. And you would, as we pray in the collect today, order our unruly hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we have uh, seen Jesus in hostile conflict with the Pharisees. Um, We're in chapter 12 of Matthew, so he's been... He's been in conflict with the Pharisees uh, in this chapter. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus uh, going toe-to-toe with them over uh, over the Sabbath. Right? He, in fact, did something. You just couldn't believe what Jesus was doing. Gosh, I'm wobbling all over the place here. Um, That he asserted that he is, in fact, Lord of the Sabbath. And if you just take a minute to think about and we talked about this, I'm not going to dwell on it, but just the fact that he this is uh, this keeping this man was, was a big deal is a, a uh, uh, the fourth commandment and in fact uh in fact he said he is in charge of it he's the lord of it that is that is an extraordinary and, and would have been incredibly offensive statement uh unless he was telling the truth um and so uh, he said that he made him supreme over David. It made him um, supreme over the temple, the dwelling place of God. Uh, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That was verse eight last week. After a, a relatively lengthy description of how Jesus fulfills Isaiah forty-two, we saw Jesus take on the Pharisees over where his authority comes from. Right? The um, they couldn't deny his power. They couldn't deny that he had uh, specifically that he was casting out demons. But they claimed uh, that it was by Satan, as Beelzebul, the prince of, of darkness. And, you know, maybe, maybe they meant it. It doesn't feel like it was spoken with a lot of conviction. You know, it was, um, uh, it, it was just an, an attempt to dissuade the people from, uh, from following Jesus. Uh, it was a careless word, a cutting word. Uh, but Jesus does not take it lying down, if you remember. He um, not only dismantles their logic... When he says, uh, a house divided cannot stand. But he calls their statement an unforgivable blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, because what they're doing is they're calling the good work of God evil. Um, and so, uh, we're, they're saying it, it, is, it is the work of, of the devil, even though it is clearly the work of God. And so, what we have today, at least where we begin uh, our passage, we're going to finish out chapter 12 today, um, we are, we are. What we're doing is, uh, is begin, is continuing that conversation. Now, before we get too much further into it, I want to tell you about next week and what we're going to be doing. And that is, uh, next week we're going to take a break from Matthew. That's Palm Sunday. And what I uh, intended to do was to is to really kind of have a Holy Week meditation. But, but actually, so we may have a little of that if we have some time. But. um In in the summer of 2023, I'm going to need to take a sabbatical, Uh, and uh, I've been here. I will have been here for uh, seven and a half years at at that point, and um, and part uh, where there's a wonderful grant, and part of the grant is is um, letting the congregation know and, and seeing that the congregation has input, and so I've got a little committee, and we're going to give you a presentation, and so we're actually I meant to actually tell the whole congregation about that today. We'll put it in the e-news. But uh, bring, some, bring some friends because it actually, the more people who have, uh, hear about it have input, with, uh, the better. But uh, that's what we're going to talk about next week and uh, sort of why a sabbatical and what the import- importance of that is, uh, not just for me but for the church. And so um, we'll give some thoughts on that. We'd love your input. That's what we're going to be doing next week. But this week, we're finishing out uh, chapter 12. And Jesus is going for the jugular. Uh, as we do that. To me, uh, I think this just further uh, confirms his own claim to divinity as Matthew is making the case to his, his audience that Jesus is divine, moving up towards Peter's confession in chapter 16. Uh, Jesus is claiming uh, his divinity. That's why he's getting in trouble with the Pharisees. Because what he's doing is judging the morality and the holiness of our deepest selves. And who can see into the heart? God, right? God, God can. God is the only one who can see the motivations of our hearts. And so, by claiming that, he's claiming his own holiness. For instance, for for me, like I can disagree with someone, uh, and and for you, probably that disagreement might have a little bit of authority because I'm your priest. Or you certainly have the freedom to disagree with me. Uh, But I um, I can speak with passion about a disagreement. You know, maybe it's another priest or a television preacher or something like that. Um, I can speak with passion. I can speak with conviction. I can look at the fruit of their actions and I can make a judgment about whether I think it is right or wrong but I cannot look into the interior of their heart. And I cannot make a declaration like the one that Jesus makes. And if I do that and let me say people have then I have crossed the line. Because I can't that I am I am now speaking into a realm that does not belong to me. And I should be careful. Uh, People People cross that line often, and and if, if you find yourself crossing that line, judging the interior of their heart, their own motivations, not just the carelessness of their words or their theology or something like that, but um, then you should back up. I think so, but but because that's really that's a claim to divinity, and uh, and but Jesus is crossing that line on purpose. All right, so let's let's pick up the conversation. And read uh, the first, this first paragraph um, that ends with verse 37. Can somebody read that for me? Josh.
1: Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of viper, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth Good and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned.
0: Wow. Susie said, wow, which means Susie understood it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I said,
0: uh-oh. Yeah. We have we several sayings like this uh, throughout the Gospels. We saw one in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, where Jesus says, A healthy tree produces good fruit, and a diseased tree produces bad fruit. Um, the goodness of the fruit, therefore, is determined by the goodness of the tree. Is the tree good? Uh, it is not the fruit's fault if it's bad. It's not the weather's fault if it's bad. It's the fault of the DNA. Uh, of the tree what's going on inside the tree right there's not a gray there's no gray with this it doesn't say some sort of bad trees produce sort of bad fruit you know it's just it's good tree good fruit bad tree bad fruit he doesn't talk about trees that are sometimes sick or some you know a tree that's got a bad branch uh it's black and white and 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 because if it's good on the outside it's because it's good on the inside and, and that is not an exclusively Christian thought. A lot of gurus will, will tell you, make claims like this, and they're right. That, that, um, that it is not, you know, what, what is, um, the problem is, uh, you know, we might fix, try to fix what's on the outside, and that's not an that's not unworthy aspiration. But the real issue is what's going on in the inside. I'm actually reading this uh, sort of self-help book right now. It's not exactly turned out to be what I thought it was going to be. It's been a lot more guru, but I'm committed to finishing when I started. And, um, and it is, and it's really kind of cheesy. I wouldn't recommend it, actually. But I, the, knowledge, the learning part is good. But, the, um, but it talks a lot about this, about, you know, working on the interior and, and reflection and gratitude. And, uh, and that's what calms and um, brings health to the exterior uh, actions. For instance, um, if I wanted, if I have a problem with drinking, I want to start, stop drinking, uh, I should do that, right? I should stop drinking if I have a problem with it, but I also have to fix why I'm drinking, or either I'm going to keep drinking, which is usually what happens, or I'm going to uh, replace that with some other addiction, because I've got to work on why I'm drinking, What's the hole in my heart that I'm feeling? What's the pain that I'm numbing? If I, Same thing, if I want to stop uh, losing my temper, I should stop losing my temper and I need to work on that. But actually, um, I mean, it's good to work on self-control, but it's better to work on what's going down deep. Why are the things making me angry? Why, what, is, what insecurity is being triggered easily that I have a hard time even seeing? That's why I think therapy is actually really... Good and important to somebody else who is insightful and knowledgeable can give us insight about those things. Work on what is going on inside, and that will, in fact, take care of what's going on outside. Not that we shouldn't work on things like temper or alcohol or whatever it is, but what's what hole is that? Are we trying to fill with that thing? That's that's even more important. Jesus is saying that. Um, that they can't the the Pharisees cannot be speaking good words or true words about him, particularly about casting out demons by Bielzebul. Uh, he they can't be speaking good because they are evil. Like uh, they the fruit uh, their their words the external can't be good because what is going on inside isn't. And why? See, remember, see, that's the claim of divinity for him to to make that claim. But why is it not good? Because it is follow following against what god is doing right they are um uh they are he says they're a brood of vipers remember where we heard that phrase before brood of vipers john the baptist, john the baptist right and what is a brood of vipers poison snakes. snakes right vipers are poison snakes a brood is a group or a family right they're just they're a, they're a family of of snakes and, and they're not snaky i mean you might you and i might be snaky sometimes right they're uh, they're snake. What he's saying is that this part of their DNA—it's it's part of who they are. They're not having snakeish behavior, um, and, and what does he mean by it? He doesn't mean they're axe murderers. You know that they're evil. He means they're against God. They're not, and, and they're against God. Even these are people who want to follow God, but they're actually just not recognizing His Messiah. Right? It's it's in their DNA, and so. How, does, how, how would you apply this to us? Because, I mean, surely, if there's, not, if there's no hope for the Pharisees, there's no hope for any of us. So what, um, what is... What is uh, how might we apply this to our, to our own selves? How might we take this devotionally or um, as disciples? I think sometimes, like if I want to do a
1: good thing, I examine what my motive is. Or if I—I I mean, I don't know if that's what this is, but um, or if I want to do—if I'm tempted to do something bad, what is my motive for doing
0: that? Um, sure. Well, I think it's good to examine our motivations. I think even—even even as uh, for if we have been redeemed in Christ, we know that we there's—we are living between the already and the not yet, right? So we we. Um, we have been redeemed in Christ. We have not yet, been fu- fully redeemed in Christ. And so it's good for us, as a matter of our discipleship, to see what's going on, look under the hood a little bit, and, and see what's going on. So examine our motivations. Yes, what else? If
1: prayer
0: should precede whatever we do. Prayer? I, I mean, there's not many questions I ask that that's going to be the wrong answer to, right? <laughs> prayer, <laughs> prayer should be, pre- precede what, what we what we do. So let me say, uh, all of these are right. But let me let me sort of let you know where my brain goes with this. In regards to our salvation, and, and this is a theological term, uh, theological observation, uh, in, based, rooted in scriptures, that we all have bad roots. In terms of our salvation, we've all got bad roots, right? The fruit isn't going to help us start doing good things. You know, like look busy. Jesus is coming back. So uh, even the best deeds we have are tainted in sin. That's what a little bit of what Connie was saying, that, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying you're, you're all evil as evil can be. I'm just simply saying there's no area of our life that we don't need a savior. Uh, one preacher that I listen to a lot said that even our repentance needs to be repented of, because, because it's, it is, um, it's always going to be tinted with some sort of self motivation. You think about your own, um, you know, you give this wonderful gift at Christmas, but you want to, you want to thank you note. You, know, like you, you want a little affirmation, you know, um, or, or something like you, even the best deeds you do, you have some motivation, some pat on the back that we're looking for. Very rarely can we look at our lives and just take satisfaction in what we gave and not what we got back for it. Um, and, and that's just an echo. I'm not saying, it just, it's, just, it's just a further demonstration that we need a Savior. But guess what? We have one. We don't need our bad fruit to turn into good fruit. We need a good trunk. Right? We need good wood. We don't need reformation. We need replanting. We need death and resurrection. And so that actually is uh, how we understand baptism sacramentally, right? That we are uh, baptized into the death of Jesus. And, and, and I love when we typically just pour water over our heads, which is fine. It's really great. But what it, the ultimate symbol of baptism is going under the water, Right? How long do you live under there? Not long. Like, it is death. We come back out of the water, and it is life. That is is the symbol of baptism. And we are baptized into the death of Jesus. The old is gone, and we're baptized into the life of the risen Jesus. The new has come. The old is gone, the new has come. That was our epistle last week from uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, Now, Jesus mixes his metaphor a little bit. He says the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, but I, I, I think it's it's essentially the same thing. A good um, out of this, he's basically saying out of his bank account, the good person has good money, the bad person has bad money, you know, like or money that's not good anymore, something like that. It's it's uh it's the same thing. You it, it's all about um, what's going on internally. What is the truth? And and the truth is, is that we all have been declared, just like when Jesus spoke, looked at the darkness and said, let there be light, and there was light. They looked in the darkness of our hearts and said, you are good by my goodness, and you are good. Like, you are good in the heavens. And if you're like me, you can look at yourself and say, yeah, but. Like, yes, we should work on our stuff. And. You cannot be any more redeemed than you are. You cannot be any more loved than you are. None of your good works are going to make Jesus love you anymore because He loves you the most. You're His favorite, each one of you. And and that is incredible, wonderful uh, grace. Then He says, By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So continually, especially maybe in Lent, this should drive us to our knees and ask God to again and again to use Jesus' merit when he's judging us. Right? Not our own. Because, I don't know about you, but if we went around with a, a microphone on me and that was what we used in the court of appeal for uh, my salvation, I would, it would be a short case. Your just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you are. Yeah, we're standing right there together, aren't we? Yeah, okay. You know, you know that Elaine gave me a, a coffee mug a couple of years ago that said, in big letters it says, I love Jesus. In real small letters it says, but I cuss a little. Right? Right under, But I cuss a little. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right, so that's what that's what I got to say about about that. Yes, ma'am, Jane. So yeah, so there's justification and there's sanctification, and and, and I I mean I say this, and we've got a Lutheran pastor here, and you may you may I'd love your insights, but my my take on it, as I understand it, is actually fairly Lutheran, and that is that that our sanctification, our daily uh, process of becoming a disciple of Jesus and becoming like Christ, is actually just a continual return to our justification. That we are reminded over and over again, not by getting better and trying to get the bad fruit into good fruit, but actually just going back and saying, "Renew my wood," and just confessing again and again. What do you think, Pastor Joe? A life of repentance, a life of baptism, walking wet. Thesis number one, right? The, yeah, all of life is repentance. Um, all right, good. Yes, sissy.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, unholy thoughts might come in
1: your brain. and I usually say, "Get yeah, behind me, devil!" <laughs>
0: you know. So I think your thoughts. She, uh, Sissy said, even your thoughts. So Jane said, my words show me that I need repentance every day. I need, I need Jesus. I need sanctification. And Sissy said, yes, not just my words, but my thoughts, right? Uh, as well, not just my. Uh, feet, but my hands and my head as well. So, um, yes, indeed, all all of us. There's not a, there's not a nook and cranny inside my heart that it doesn't need daily um, sanctification, daily justification. All right. Sign of Jonah. So it looks like the same. Looks like the same. The way Matthew writes, it looks like the same conversation. So now we have some scribes joining the crowd. Scribes and Pharisees. They're all religious. Um, Folks, and and these are the lawyers, not just the the theologians. Uh, And they answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But He answered This is just amazing to me. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater is Jonah than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came to the, from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So, these, these Pharisees and these scribes and Pharisees, they just, it looks like, let's just, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit, and they just, they, all right. We're maybe maybe we're willing to believe, like just show us, just show us a sign that so that we can believe. and he won't give them one. why? what's what's going on here? Why is Jesus withholding the what era they ask for?
1: the lepers and what the I sick? Did? What
0: other side do they need? It's hard Those to. Those signs work
1: just for them. They want their
0: own personal side <laughs> Well, yeah, right. They want to do it on, if they if they have on command. Then they that we all want a God like that, right? We all want okay, Lord, I just need a shooting star right now. You know, like we just um, we 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 love for God to just work at our whims. That's a genie kind of guy. That's a ge- ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's going in the devotional. That's uh yeah, that's that's uh, we want a genie, not a God. Yes. I think the biggest sign
1: six
0: Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's what he says. Also, I want to know who the queen of the south is. The queen of the south, yeah. Well, uh, Josh is gonna tell us that in just a minute. Um no I'm just kidding. Queen of, Sheba, right? queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba, that's right. It's hard to know what else they wanted to see. He had done so many things. He healed hundreds of people at this point. He had raised the dead. He had um, it's, just, it's just amazing. Well, um, it is not without precedent though, in the Old Testament to ask for a sign. Think about Gideon, putting out the fleece, asking the Lord, and then putting out another, Okay, well, this time you made the fleece wet, but not the ground around it. Let's make the ground around it wet and not the fleece. Like, like, I mean, come on. And God gives it to him. Uh, Moses was given miracles in order to sort of cred- credential himself. He said, what if they ask me? He said, all right, you, you know, you can throw down your stick and it'll turn into a snake and, and so forth. Um, but he's already done all these things. He cast out demons, uh, raised the dead. What else are they looking for? Um, it feels a little to me like the first temptation in the wilderness with Satan. Do you remember? I mean, he's already, and, and it could well be like that because he's already, I mean, he's already aligned them or called them evil. But um, remember the first temptation? He's been fasting forty days, and Satan says, "If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread." In other words, prove it. Use your powers, and um, to to show who you are, and and. Uh, and it feels a little like that. Uh, prove it. Prove it. Show it. Give, give us the magic show. Um, now, Jesus' audience, when Jesus says the sign of Jonah, and he's talking about um, three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, and three nights, and um, three days and three nights in, in the tomb, like they would have had no idea what he's talking about. I mean, yeah, I mean they they understand the words and they can put them together, but like. I mean, remember, the disciples, as close as they, did, they had no expectation that he was going to be raised from the dead. But Matthew's audience, Matthew writing 40 or 50 years after Jesus' resurrection, they would know. They would see exactly what Jesus is talking about because they know the death and resurrection narrative. Jonah, you know the story because you learned it when you were three. Right, Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, some sort of sea monster, a whale of some kind, uh, and, and that was certain death. Like I always imagine I mean, anything that's big enough to swallow a man whole without killing him is, is big enough to go way deep in the ocean. And wouldn't that have just, like, cru- hurt? <laughs> I mean, crushes, I don't know, like there's just the pressure. I, I don't know how that works. But, but so it was certain death. And yet it was by God's command that He reached down into what should have been death and brought Him forth uh, to give Him life so that He could proclaim his, his, God's Word. What should have been death ended up in life so that God's Word could be preached. And of course the same is true with Jesus, only more so. Like only, only more so. He was actually dead. And, and Jesus says the men of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment. These were the um, the Gent and these were Gentiles who repented, and Jesus, of course, is speaking to scribes and Pharisees who should know better, who are actually trained, so they thought, to recognize the Messiah when he shows up. They're going to rise up in judgment because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But it's interesting that Jonah is not known for his preaching; he's known for the fish, right? And yet. Despite the miracle, it was His words. Brief though they were... This is, Jonah's, Jonah's sermon is like the worst sermon in the Bible. I mean, it just says, you know, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all, at least that's, that's all that's recorded. That's all we get. And the people believed God. If you go back to Jonah chapter 3, it's remarkable. It's all he says. It's like the Spirit is just waiting for a spark. And 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 they all repent. They put the dogs in sackcloth and ashes. It reads I'm going to just take a quick, do I have time? I don't, I don't really have that much time. But I, um, just an aside, I have often said about Jonah that I don't need for it to be real. For it to be true. Like it's pretty, it's, pre- it's a pretty wild story. If, if you look at it in a way, it kind of looks like a fairy tale. That communicates incredible and wonderful truth. You know, I've said that before, but then I heard somebody say say this. So then I always thought that Jonah was just sort of a fable. And I didn't need it. Basically, he articulated what I had believed about Jonah. He said, But I also love the Lord of the Rings, which communicates incredible truth, but is obviously just a wonderful story. And as as dear as some some of us hold those that story in the Lord of the Rings none of which would use in a sermon illustration the men of Gondor will rise up in judgment you know like we, we wouldn't say, we would not say that like that doesn't make any sense and so uh, it really what it really seems is that Jesus understood the story of Jonah to be nonfiction that he understood it to be a real story, and so um, I haven't really come up with a great answer for that, other than to say that suits me just fine. Um, it is—it's a—it's a wild story, and if God wants it to be, if he, if he wants that to be true, then I'm—I'm I'm all for it. Um, and so I. I, I listened to
1: the news, there was a guy in the news within the last three weeks or so that said he was swallowed by a whale and escaped.
0: <laughs> the news. Yeah, and where did he go after that? Uh, on TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all CNN repented. Um, for example, um, the uh, the um, all right. So, so the miracle is a sign, but the preaching is the thing to be believed. And that's that's um, that's where I want I really want to. You did hear the, the, the miracle is the sign, but the preaching is the thing to be believed. But the, the miracle makes the preaching believable, but it's the truth that changes us. And, and that's what it was for the Ninevites. They didn't actually, it, we're not even sure the Ninevites even knew about the miracle. It's the truth. But as we read Jonas, the miracle that credentials the truth, and Jesus refuses a sign because he's already shown it. And as, um, as Sissy says, for us, the ultimate miracle is, is the resurrection. And I've said many times to you before, if the resurrection didn't happen, then what are we doing here? Like, this is... I just...
1: that no matter what
0: Well, perhaps... Yeah, and we don't know what happened to these people after the resurrection. We don't, I mean, we don't know.
1: Do you think maybe he was thinking pearls before swine? Pearls
0: before swine? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, I mean... I mean it was all his his miracles are fairly public. I don't I don't know. But they have they've they've had they've seen the miracles but they haven't found the truth believable yet. And that's I mean I can relate to that. There's a time in my life. But then he, so then he tells a um he tells a, a, a sort of a parable about an unclean spirit. Let's get somebody to read that. Okay, thanks, Connie. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person,
1: it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first
0: so also will it be with this evil generation. All right, got to ask you, because he's, he's been talking about Jonah. Oh, and I didn't talk about the queen of the south. That's, that's another example of a Gentile coming to hear the wisdom of God through a prophet, although Solomon wasn't exactly a prophet. Um, but he was uh, certainly a mouthpiece of God. And, he, um, and she said, surely this is, this is the Lord. You know your God is is the God of uh, the true God and so um, and so that's just another example Queen of Sheba when she came to visit Solomon that's that's who that is um, and basically it's saying that these Gentiles longed to hear the word of God and uh, and repented but you Pharisees claim to have the Word of God and and won't repent and then he goes into the thing about the unclean spirits what how does this follow? Like what? How does this carry on his thought? Go.
1: So to me, it, it did make sense. And then it dawned on me that so the unclean spirit is cast out and all the house is put in order, but what comes back finds the house empty and moves in with a whole bunch of other bad tenants because the person whose house it is didn't fill it with something good. They put it in order but never filled that empty spot with God or with Jesus. No, so, or, yeah, all the above. So, it could bring in all its other rowdy friends, Hank Williams Jr. and everybody, and, and have a big party in the, the now.
0: That's right. This it, is,
1: it gets evil and it seeks its own level.
0: I didn't understand your last statement.
1: Okay. Evil begets evil. Yes. What is evil begets evil, but it also seeks its own level, in continuation of.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, so evil begets evil, but this evil got cleaned out.
1: But when it, it but, it said it came back. So it's seeking comfort in that which.
0: Right. So, so here's, yes, I think what, I think you're, we're saying the same thing. So what's, what's happening is that it looks good for a minute, but all they've done is pick the bad fruit off the tree. Right, it looks good. And all of a sudden, what happens when you prune a tree? It grows back fuller. Well, the bad fruit grew back fuller. I mean, that's, it's, it's bringing back, the devil leaves, he gets kicked out to clean up the house, but we don't change the locks. And so they leave the door open, and the, uh, and the, and the devil comes back. It's just going to keep getting worse. We're white knuck- this is white knuckling rather than having death and resurrection. So it's interesting that uh, either Jesus put this here or Matthew found the, found the connection and put this, this here. Um, but for us as, as disciples, as part of Matthew's audience, it is really um, continuing the warning that, um, that what we need is a new house. <laughs> What we need is a new house. And that's, again, that's what baptism is. You have a new house. So uh, don't hear, so go get a new house. Hear, praise God, because if your faith is in Christ, you have a new house. All right? Keep it clean, that's good. But um, we have a new house. All right, so that's the end of of this. And then we have this little reprieve, um, although I think it's related. It's really interesting. It says, while he was... Still speaking to people, behold, his mom and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. (laughs) It's hard to know. Like, they just needed to ask him something, or they were worried because he was getting himself in trouble. Probably, at least as I imagine the scene. It's the latter. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brother's. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and my sister and my brother. My brother, my sister, my mother. So it looks like he's saying, whoever has good fruit is my brother and sister and mother. Who can can do the will of the Father? The good tree. Only the good tree can produce good fruit. That's how it follows. That's how he says that, that if you have been reborn, if you have been remade, death and resurrection, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my mother, you're my family. And he doesn't say father because he has a heavenly father. But we are called his children, we're called, I mean his brothers and sisters, We're called the, we're, uh, the Bible often uses familial language to talk about how we are incorporated into, into Christ. And it's just a really nice reminder in the same way at the end of chapter 11 we get um, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, right on the heels of woe to, you, woe to you, Chorazin. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Here we get this reminder that we who have been made new are his family. And I just think that's really, really gracious and really peaceful and wonderful. Well, friends, any final thoughts, parting shots? My, uh, I have not decided yet what we're going to do after Easter. Um, I think Easter season is a great season to work through the parables in chapter 13. I may want to keep doing that. Um, I don't know. I, I would love for you to give some thought about it. Email me about if you want to take a little break. You'd like to do some, either some other meditations or some um, interviews, like have some other speakers, something like that. So let me know what you think about that after Easter. But next week, we're talking about sabbatical and having holy week. beginning holy week. God bless. Go to church.
1: Your sabbatical